show called Let's Talk Homeschool. This is Davis, and today I want to welcome you to episode number 78. This is part two in an eight-part series entitled Eight Who Lived Like They Were Dying. Today's show is about the missionary Adoniram Judson. And here's an excerpt from the real-life story to give you a taste of what you're in store for today. And he turned to her and he said, and he wrote in his diary, you know, heaven must be something like this. The following presentation is a production of Apologia Mission, which is the 501c3 nonprofit arm of Apologia Educational Ministries. We hope you'll enjoy this message by Pastor Jerry McCarran. This audio recording is just one in the series entitled Eight Who Lived Like They Were Dying. Each one is based on the corresponding biography published by Youth with a Mission. For more information about Apology a Mission, please visit our website at www.apologiamission.org. I want to begin uh, this evening, first of all, by, by reading a few passages of Scripture with you, uh, just to sort of get everything ready for what I want to say to you tonight. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite people of all time, Adoniram Judson, who was the first American missionary that was ever sent out. Uh, first of all, uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28, says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. Next one is Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Then Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And of course, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission and Mark 16, 15 and 16. Then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, through Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among all the nations. And then again, Paul says, I make all my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Jesus has not been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Romans 15 and, and also this passage that referenced Isaiah 55 and uh, 52 and verse 15. In Acts 13, 47 and so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made your light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of all the earth. So we're talking about missions. Mission Sunday cometh. Let's talk to the Father. Father, may we be glorified in your glory. May we be honored by the blood of your Son. Father, may we rejoice in the indwelling of your Spirit. May we take comfort, Father, in the hope that we have because of the resurrection. And Father, may we recognize that you have called us all forth to be witnesses 
for your name. And Lord, we're thankful for all of those who went out, for all of those who gave so much. And Father, we're thankful for all the fruit that was gathered because of the lives that they lived. And Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for every missionary that we have and those who will be missionaries, but hey, they don't even know it yet. But Father, may we just be faithful witnesses. Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. His name was Adoniram Judson. He was born on August the 9th, 1788 in Malden, Massachusetts. He was a son of a preacher man. He was extremely bright, very inquisitive, and very intense. He was reading by the age of three. By the age of nine, he was fluent in Greek and in Latin. Very quick-minded, very quick-witted. By the age of 14, Adoniram excelled in all of his studies. And just 16 days after his 16th birthday, he enrolled in Brown University. He was the youngest, and he was the brightest of the class. He became good friends with a young man by the name of Jacob Ames. Jacob Ames was a man, a young man from a very wealthy family. Adoniram came from an extremely poor family. And Jacob introduced him to a new way of life. He introduced him to the party side of life, to the side of life that Adoniram had never seen before. And so they became very, very close friends. Adoniram and Jacob would spend long nights talking about religion and talking about theology. But you see, Jacob was a deist. He was an agnostic. He didn't believe in the Bible. He believed in a, a power, but not the God that you and I believe in. And he believed the God of the universe was really indifferent to everything that was going on in the universe, that there was no real care, and that the Word of God was not inspired, and the church really didn't matter. Adoniram fell into that way of belief, and he became a convert. The president of the school rode home to talk to his dad. And I know how Adoniram must have felt because the president of the school I went to called and talked to my dad. And so he was in a rather tight spot. Uh, being so influenced by Jacob Ames that, that he adopted the whole philosophy. And after his graduation, he graduated with honors. He was a valedictorian of his class. Adoniram was at the very peak of his life. And he and Jacob, before they graduated, would talk about what we're going to do in life. And during that time, if you had a university degree, I mean, your life was, was an open book. You, you had a great future ahead of you. And so they, they talked about what they were going to do with their life and where they were going to go and the jobs that they were going to hold. Adoniram returned home right after graduation, and uh, he opened up a small school in the little village where they lived, and he began to teach school, and kids poured out of, the, out of the various villages to come to his school. He was very effective as a teacher. In fact, at the age of 19, he published two textbooks, one in math and one in English. Brown University published those textbooks. But after the first year of teaching, he grew very, very bored with it. So he told his dad that, that, you know, he was going to be 
leaving home and he was going to go to the big city, that, that he thought there was something else in life that he wanted to do. And to be honest with you, Adoniram was just tired of all the Bible study and all the prayers. And he was tired of his dad reading scripture at every meal and demanding that they all pray and they all have Bible study. And, and so he said, I'm going to leave. And his father scolded him a bit. And, and finally, Adoniram lost his cool. And he told him, said, Father, the reason I'm going is because I, I don't have the same faith you have anymore. I don't believe in the God you believe in. I am now a deist. I'm an agnostic. And so with his mother weeping and his father praying like a prodigal son from Luke 15, he heads out for the big city. He hadn't gone very far. He decided he had dropped by and visit with with one of his uncles. And he was going to leave his horse there. But when he arrived there to, to leave his horse with his uncle, his uncle was not there. He said there was a young aspiring theologian, a young man who had recently graduated from a seminary. And so he spent the night or two with this young man, and they talked about theology. And Adoniram was so impressed with this young man's faith. In fact, he was so impressed with him, he thought, you know, I wish I could believe in a God like that. And he saw something in this young man that he did not see in his father. His father was very bombastic and very hard in his theology. This young man was very compassionate and very loving and very understanding. Early next morning, he, he left his horse in the stall and headed on down the road. He was going to New York. He went to New York, and he wanted to be a playwright. He wanted to be on the stage. And he thought with all of his education, he would certainly not have any problems becoming a playwright or a great star. But he tried it for days. He, he fell in, in the company of others who planned on being a great star, and they were all starving to death. And on weekends, what they would do, they would go to nearby inns, and they would check into these inns, and back during that day, you just signed your name on a register, and they provided your meals, and, and they would eat the meals, and they would spend the night, then they would leave early in the morning and never pay their bill. And Adoniram's life began to shift, and it began to change. And he traveled all over New York trying to find work, and he was so humiliated by circumstances, like the prodigal son, it's tough to go home. It's tough to go back home. But he makes up his mind that he's going to go home And so he goes all the way back to his uncle's house, and he gets his horse. And while he's riding late at night, he's tired, he's on a road he's never traveled before. And he comes to an inn. And he tries to check in at the inn. He goes to the front desk, and the innkeeper says, sorry, we don't have any space here. We're booked up. And he says, I'm new in this part. I'm a little bit disturbed because I'm on a road I've never traveled before, and I know it's pretty dangerous out here. Do you just possibly have any place? If you just give me a a quilt, I'll I'll sleep beside the fireplace. I'll sleep anywhere. Please, just let me spend the night. He said, okay, I I will. He said, I have one room. But let me tell you about the room. In that room, there is a man who is dying. And it's going to be quite noisy at night. But there's a narrow bed in there, and it'll be a place for you at least to kind of try to catch a little sleep. Not going to promise you much sleep, but there'll be some. He said, I'll take it. 
He went into the room and there was a bed sheet down the middle of the room and he could see family members on the other side all night and he could hear them uh, with, with moist rags dipping it in water and putting it on his fevered brow and he heard the man all night long groaning and, and crying out. Finally around three o'clock he drifted off to sleep, got up the next morning, slept in a little bit, went in to eat his bowl of oatmeal and the innkeeper came and said, well, how'd you sleep? He said, well... I struggled until around three o'clock. Around three o'clock, I finally just able to, you know, finally get to sleep. Said there were people in and out of the room all night long. And, and he said, oh, by the way, what about the man uh, in that room with me? He said, how is he? He said, he died. Died about three o'clock this morning. Oh, he did. And he said, you know. He said, do you remember? Do you happen to know who that was? And, and the innkeeper said, yeah. I said, the guy was a graduate of Brown University. His name was Ames, Jacob Ames. And immediately this sends Adoniram thinking, here was my closest, dearest friend, and he died without Christ. And that broke his heart. He knew immediately that Jacob Ames had never come to believing faith in God. And suddenly he was struggling to what he had adapted to what his father had taught him. So he said, I'm going home. He goes back home and starts a school for a while, but then he gets a little bit antsy and, and wants to know more about God, so he enrolls in Andover Theological School. And he goes to school there, and a lot of his questions are in the process of being answered about who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? While he was there, he really caught hold of the Word of God and recognized, you know, this is where I need to be. God is calling me to minister. And he read two books during that time. One of them was called The Guiding Light of the East. And the other one was called The Star of Burma. One was about India. The other was about Burma. And he began to pray that God would send him to one of those places. He graduated from the theological school. And, and he formed a little mission committee. And there were three other families that said they would go with him. They would go to India and they would preach Christ. And he met one day at a deacon's house and he just happened to take note of a young lady there. Her name was Anne. Anne was the youngest of five children. And immediately he just fell in love with this young lady. And uh, he decided that, you know, this is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I want her to go with me to Burma. I, I, I want her to spend her life with me. So he sat down and he wrote a letter to her parents asking for her hand in marriage. But he wanted no surprises. He didn't want her to marry him and then later for him to take her off to some foreign land. So he wrote her wrote her parents this letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this land. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life and whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. But can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, 
who died for the sake of perishing immortal souls for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall rebound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Would you have let your daughter go? He said, I cannot answer that letter, only she can. And Anne said yes. Immediately after that, he he goes off to England to meet with the Missionary Society of England because they had sent William Carey and he was hoping that they could help him. On his way to England, he was pirated by by a French ship. He was put in chains and put down in the very belly of that ship where they haul slaves. France and England were at war, conflict at the time. And they haul him off to a prison in France. And all the time he's telling his captors, I'm an American. I am an American. I am on a mission. The ship harbors in coastal France, and they haul him off to a prison with all the other British prisoners. And they hold him there for months. One night as they're moving him from one prison to another prison, in the shadows of darkness, they've got him chained and manacled, and he's shifting through the streets, and there's a crowd of people that are standing over the side. And he begins to scream and said, listen, I'm being held. I'm an American. I am not a British citizen. Please, somebody help me. And a man came up close to him, and he said, I will bring freedom to you tonight. Late that night in his prison, he heard a key hit the door of the prison. And a man stepped on the inside and paid one of the guards a little money. And a man came in with a long, big robe. And he came in, and Adoniram was there. He took that robe and just sort of threw it over Adoniram. And Adoniram just shifted his weight and clung to the man and brought him out of the prison. And he heard the door shut behind him. And he heard him pay the man a little bit more money. And by morning, he was on a ship sailing back to America. When he arrived back, he found some good news because he found out that somebody had just, noted, had just contributed something like $30,000 for their mission. Do you know what $30,000 would have been like back in 1700s, 1800s? But he returns back, and on February the 3rd, 1812, he says goodbye to his family. And on February the 5th, 1812, he marries Anne Hasseldon in a very single, simple ceremony. And on February 18th, he and Anne, along with three other missionary families, have set sail on the ship called the Caravan for India and ultimately Burma. On board ship, it was an amazing thing that happened. Because on board ship, he and Anne were studying Latin and Hebrew and Greek, and they were trying to familiarize themselves with the languages they would have to be learning. They started studying scripture. They began to look at baptism again. And he began, he came to the conclusion, you know, baptism is of more significance than my father taught me. Baptism is powerful, and we've not been baptized properly. And as soon as we get to shore, The first thing we're going to do 
we're going to be baptized into Christ. And so on June 12, 1812, after 114 days at sea, after sailing from Salem, Massachusetts, they saw land from the Bay of Bengal. They landed, and one of William Carey's co-workers, a guy by the name of William Ward that we talked about briefly last week, baptized them into Christ. They spent a little bit of time with William Carey. William Carey told them that you are not welcome here. You are, as we said last week, uh, among the untouchables. They didn't have a work visa. They didn't have permission to be there. And said, you must leave. Because if you don't, they're going to take you into custody. You will be put into prison. He says, then what about Burma, which is today, what, Myanmar? He said, what about Burma? And said, oh, you don't want to go to Burma? Well, he said, I have come so far. I'm going to preach Christ somewhere over here. And so he begins to pray about Burma, about going to Burma. All the other missionaries there from India gathered around him and said, please don't waste your life. Go back to England, because if you go to Burma, you're going to die. But on June the 22nd, 1813, the Judsons boarded the ship, and they headed for Burma. It was on board that ship that Anne gave birth their first child. He was born, stillborn, and buried at sea. Four weeks later, they anchored off Rangoon. They met up with Felix uh, uh, Carey, William Carey's son. And, and, and Felix Carey helped to sort of orientate, you know, a little bit to what they were up against. He began to teach them, here's somebody who will teach you the Burmese language. Here's some things that you need to know about shopping. Here's some things you need to know about this culture. And if you've never lived in another country, culture is important. Uh, we learned a lot of things about culture uh, in South Africa. I messed up so many times, it is absolutely the most embarrassing things I've ever said or done. Just doing things that were acceptable in America, but not so over there. One of the things in the Burmese culture was regarding feet. Felix advised him to always be careful with your feet. Know where they are pointed at all times. Never touch anyone with your foot. Never point to anybody with your foot. Never sit in a position so that the bottom of your feet are showing and never ever stamp your foot because that is the most insulting thing that you can do in the Burmese culture and you would never be forgiven for doing that. In October 1813, Adoniram decided it was time to meet the viceroy of Rangoon, a man by the name of Maya Day. He wanted to get permission from the viceroy. The viceroy was comparable to sort of a governor of the territory. The viceroy was not receptive to his request, and he gave him a very threatening warning about mission work. When he came back and told Anne, Anne said, I'll tell you what, this is the way a woman thinks, okay? Anne spoke up and said, well, if the viceroy won't give us permission to stay here and to preach, what if I go make, uh, spend some time with a vicerine, which would be the governess? And so Anne goes and has an audience with the vicerine, and they become great friends, and uh, very well received, and friendship was formed, and they were able to stay for a period of time. Uh, one year later, they celebrated the birth of another son. His name was Roger Williams Judson on September 1st, 1814. And things began to look up to them, and they were so excited about their future. And then their son, Roger Williams, became ill, and he died within hours, and they buried him beneath the mango trees in the mission house garden. 
And Anne wrote in her diary, are all of my babies going to die? Both of them sank into rather deep depression. And they locked themselves away in the mission station. Total isolation. They were surrounded by a crib and by baby clothes and by memories and by toys that sat uh, in the room. And they were in stunned silence. Uh, and the next day, on the fourth day, Anne looked out of the mission station and there was the Viserine on the royal elephant with 200 of the royal attendants. And Anne went out to meet the Viserine. And the Viserine asked her, why did you not call and tell me? Why did you not send the message to tell me that you were in mourning at the death of your son? And Anne told her, said, well, we were in such deep depression. We didn't know exactly what to do. And the Viserine said, it's not good for you to grieve this way. Tomorrow morning when the sun comes up, I will fetch you both and we're going to go for an outing. And so early the next morning when the sun came up, they heard the royal trumpet blow and they looked out and there was a royal elephant just for them. And they were hoisted back up on the back of the royal elephant by two or three hundred of the king's attendants. And they followed the viceroy and all the royal attendants deep into the jungle where they shared a feast together. On December the 1st, 1817, Adoniram had a new concept about missions because they've been working so long and yet they had not had any converts. In fact, if my memory serves me correctly, they were nine years before they had their first baptisms. And so he said, you know, there's a place called Chetong, which is about, it's about two weeks journey by ship. And I think I'll go up to Chitong and I will get some of the believers up there because there's a handful of believers up there and I will go get them and they wouldn't come down here and they can be influential here with us among the people of Rangoon. And so it's December the 1st. He set sail, two-week trip. Chitong was just north. And as they left the harbor and disappeared over the horizon, he becomes deathly ill. And then the ship hits a storm. And the captain is inexperienced in a storm, and so the ship is blown totally off course, and they cannot make their way to Chitong. And so the captain says, well, since we cannot make our way up there, let's just go to Calcutta, across the Bay of Bengal. And so as they set their sails for the Bay of, uh, across the Bay of Bengal to, to Calcutta, he still cannot control the ship. And so he finally just lets the ship go the way of the wind, and the wind blows the ship all the way down here to the southern tip of India, 300 miles south of Madras. It was a two-week trip. It took them four months to get down here. Their food supplies were almost out. They were all so sick that officials had to carry them, literally all of the deckhands and everybody off the ship on gurneys. Now he's down here to the southern tip of India. Anne is up here expecting his return in two weeks. He did not arrive back home until August the 1st. He was gone almost nine months. When he arrives, arrives back, he comes back uh, still talking about their mission. And then on February the 18th, things are beginning to turn bad. There's rumors about a war between Britain and Burma. 
And so on February the 18th, 1820, Adoniram and Anne make plans to leave Rangoon for another place called Ava. Because you see, the new king, Bagyadao, had turned viciously on the missionaries and all the foreigners and all the followers of Christ. And so they hoped that their departure to a new area, a new city, would take all the pressure off of a handful of converts that they have by now. And during this period of time, Anne's health begins to deteriorate very rapidly. Repeated attacks of malaria and dysentery and fever was taking its toll. But they baptized two more converts. During this time, he does something that I think is absolutely amazing. He builds what was called a Zayat. It's kind of a, a pagoda type of structure. And he built it at one of the main roads of the main part of the city. And what it was, it was a little booth. And he and Anne would stand in that booth and another missionary associate, and they would preach Christ for all the people going back and forth. And they had literature that they would hand out. That was so risky. And they passed out brochures, and they, they passed out all kinds of tracts. And, and they, they asked people, inviting people, come and let us talk to you about the Prince of Life, about Jesus. And a lot of people would wander in, but they were fearful because if they changed religion at the time, it was worthy of death. And so, during that period of time, something else happens. The war between Britain and Burma breaks out, and all foreigners are declared and considered spies. On Tuesday evening, June the 8th, 1824, while Adoniram and Anne were enjoying dinner together, the door to their house was kicked in, and they were surrounded by 11 men who had tattooed on each cheek a spot the size of a silver dollar. They were known among the Burmese people as the spotted faces. These men were criminals who should have died for their crimes, but who were spared to become the executioners and thugs who ran Burma's prisons. Some of these men had spots tattooed on their foreheads and on their chests and all over their arms. When they broke into the house, they shouted, we have come for the teacher, we have come for the spy. They grabbed both Adoniram and Anne. When they grabbed Anne, Adoniram said, if her name is not on the list, please don't take her. And her name was not on the list. But they took Adoniram. And they took him to the prison, let me on, meaning the death prison. It was a very vicious place where few survive. No food was supplied. If you were going to eat, you better have family or friends to bring you food because the prison would not feed you. At the time, Anne was pregnant. And she spent the next 18 months walking two miles every day to bring him food. And the other time, she spent her times before the king begging for his life. Occasionally, she had bribed the guards who would sometimes even allow her to slip him a note or to see his face across the prison. He was manacled most of the time. At the night, they would chain his feet together. And then they would stick a bamboo pole between his feet, and they would hoist his feet up into the air. The only part of him that would be touching the floor was his shoulders and his head. And the rats and the mosquitoes had a field day. During that particular time in his journal later, he writes that I prayed for Burma. I prayed for Anne, and I prayed to die. But he was concerned also about a New Testament translation that he had completed. It was in a drawer back in the desk. 
And he knew if the authorities found the translation of the New Testament into the Burmese language that it would be condemned and she would be condemned. And so when Anne came early in his captivity, he told her, I thought this was so unique. He said, Anne, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take that translation of the New Testament and I want you to find the lumpiest, dirtiest, smelliest pillow that we have. And I want you to open it up and I want you to sew that translation on the inside of that pillow. And I want you to bring it to me. He hoped that the pillow would be too repulsive for the spotted faces to steal it. And she did. And they didn't. Adoniram kept that pillow with him as much as possible. On January the 26th, 1825, a messenger slipped a note through the cell door to Adoniram. Maria Elizabeth Judson was born today. Thank God we are both alive. Love, Anne. But during this time, Anne's good health continued to slip away. In fact, she became so frail that on occasions when she came, that even the spotted faces were sympathetic toward her. Because she came carrying a child, her milk had long dried up. And the spotted faces would even accompany Adoniram into nearby villages to take his child to see if there was a mother who could feed the child. After 18 months, the war was over, and Adoniram was suddenly released from prison. He was needed to translate all the peace negotiations into Burmese. And after he had done that, the British requested for him to do more translations for them. And so they sent for him to visit their camp at Yandabo on the Irrawaddy River. And he and Anne floated down the river on a beautiful moonlit night, trying to come back from the very edge of physical, emotional collapse. He was still healing from the prison, and she was trying to maintain her own health. And he turned to her and he said, and he wrote in his diary, you know, heaven must be something like this. By March of 1826, all his translating work for the British government was completed, and they returned to Rangoon. When they walked through the house of the Rangoon, he was still standing, but everything was in disrepair. And as he looked at his office, he wondered what had happened to his pillow that he had to leave behind in the prison when they transferred him to another prison. But before the night was over, Adoniram was in for one of the greatest surprises and answers of prayer because he learned that on the day he was taken to another prison, one of his faithful converts, Maung Ng, had a, who had accompanied Adoniram and Anne on preaching expedition, that he had gone to the prison to look for some token to remember his American friend by. Because a rumor was that the American missionary is dead. But when he arrived at the prison, all he found was an old pillow. Too dirty, too worn, too stinky to be kept even by the spotted faces. And they had tossed it out in a garbage heap. Maung Ng recognized the pillow as Adoniram's. He took it home to wash it. When he discovered, you know... This is a pretty lumpy pillow. And he opened it up, and he found the entire translation of the New Testament in Burmese. 
He was so enjoy, overjoyed at the discovery, both of the translation, but also he discovered that his friend was still alive. A few months later, while he was away at Ava visiting Dr. Price, Adonai received the tragedy that Anne had died on October the 26th, 1826. Of all the tragedies and pain that he had suffered, this was the toughest. And then on July of 1827, he buried his infant daughter beside her. Adoniram went into the lowest point of his life. He went into seclusion. In fact, for a period of time, he wrestled so much with his pain and with his question and with his doubt that he moved into the jungle for a period of time. And he lived alone, trying to find some answers, trying to find, really trying to find God in his life at the time. But in 1830, the clouds began to diminish. He had continued his translating work, and now requests were coming in from all over that area. People wanting the word of God, he writes in his diary. The spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere throughout the whole length and breadth of this land. We have distributed recently nearly 10,000 tracts, giving, giving to none but those who ask. And I presume that there have been 6,000 people who showed up at the house asking questions about Jesus. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. And they come saying, sir, we hear that there's an eternal hell, and we're afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, a hundred miles north of Ava, they came and said, sir, we have seen a writing that tells us about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, pray give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country came and said that the name of Jesus is little known where we are. And they said, are you Jesus Christ, man? Give us a writing. Tell us about this man called Jesus. And all of a sudden, things began to, to pick up. Up to that time, they'd only baptized a handful of people. By 1831, they only had 18 Burmese converts. But in the year 1831, in one year, they baptized over 200 people into Christ. Eight years later, on April the 10th, 1834, he married a missionary widow by the name of Sarah Boardman. They had five children. She was a gifted partner. She knew God. She loved God. She knew the language. She knew the culture. Eleven years later, they sailed for America along with their children in an attempt to try to get her some uh, medical attention. Adoniram was determined that he was not going to lose another wife. Adoniram had not seen America for 33 years, and he was returning to get help for his new wife. But as they rounded the Cape of Africa, September 1845, Sarah died. The ship dropped anchor at St. Helena Island, long enough for her funeral. He went on to America briefly, and with great passion, he determined, I must return to minister to the people I love in Burma. But to everyone's amazement, before he returned, he fell in love again and married for the third time. He married a young lady by the name of Emily Chubbuck on June the 2nd, 1846. She wrote in her diary, in the first anniversary upon their return to Burma, this has been by far the happiest year of my life. 
And what is in my eyes still more important, my husband says it has been among the happiest of his. I never met with any man who could talk so well day after day on every subject, religious and literary and scientific and political and such a nice baby talk. Adoniram Judson became very ill not long after that, and the advice of the doctors was a sea voyage. Uh, in all the books I'm reading, is uh, the, the idea back then was if you're sick, if you just get out of where you are and get on board ship and get some fresh salt air in your lungs, it will help you. And so the advice of his doctors, he takes his sea voyage. And he was carried on board the Aristide Marie on April the 3rd, 1850. He was accompanied by one of his great friends, Thomas Rainey. He went along to start to take care for him. At 4.15 on Friday afternoon, April 12th, 1850, Adoniram Judson died at sea, away from his family, away from the Burmese church. And the ship's log read that the crew assembled quietly today the port was open. The coffin slid through the port into the night. The location was 13 degrees north, longitude 93 degrees east, and only a few hundred miles west of the mountains of Burma. Ten days later, Emily gave birth to their second child, and the baby died. And she learned four months later that her husband had died. And she returned to New England. As we talk about the story of people like Carrie, and Judson, never forget our calling. Here's what this man done. The Bible was translated into Burmese. It is still the only translation that is used in Burma. The dictionary was translated in Burmese. Hundreds of converts were leading the church when he died. And today, in Myanmar, which is ancient Burma, there are over 3,700 Christian churches and hundreds of thousands of people who know Jesus as Lord. And all of them can trace their roots back to this young man from Massachusetts. And so as we contemplate Mission Sunday, we build upon the foundations of those who've gone before us. You know, someone told me last week, you know, I enjoyed your presentation, but I was a little bit overwhelmed by it. So have I been. But you know, freedom never comes without somebody paying a price. We are as a nation where we are because somebody paid a price. And you are and I are where we are spiritually because somebody paid a price. And if we're going to get the gospel to the world, it will be with a price. And I pray that you and I, that this will help you and me to look at our lives and take a deeper look into our faith and see where we are in being his witnesses. When I read these stories, I'm encouraged. I am humbled. I am humbled. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the message of your word. We thank you, Father, for men and women who love it so deeply and love lost people so intensely. 
that they're willing to leave family and friends and the familiar and go to foreign nations and plunge themselves into different cultures and different languages and tongues and to lay it all on the line for King Jesus. And Father, may we never take our blessings for granted. Father, may we look back and see those who, like Peter and Paul and James and John and Andrew and Mary and Martha and all the others who lay their lives down. Stephen, James, John the Baptist, because of their devotion to you. And Father, may we learn from them and for others who followed in their footsteps. In the name of Jesus, amen. I hope you're enjoying this series so far. This was the second in an eight-part series called Eight Who Lived Like They Were Dying, where we will look at the lives of different missionaries. As always, the show is sponsored by Apologia Educational Ministries, and I'm going to leave it at that for today. Thanks for joining us. And as always, we are walking by faith and enjoying the homeschooling adventure of a lifetime.